0: Video store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we're going to be talking about the 2017 film First Reform. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? I'm doing well,
1: Sam. Good morning.
0: Um, this was a this was a really interesting film to watch. This was definitely a a tougher film to watch than some of the other things um, that we've that we've encountered. But I'm excited to get into it because I think there's a lot to uh, to dig into. I watched this actually, um, the day after we recorded. So I watched it on last Saturday and I've had a week to kind of let it, uh, run through my head. And it's, this is definitely one of those movies that have, I haven't gotten away from very much. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch it a second time, although I think it, um, it definitely asks asks me for that at least. Um, so, what is your history with this film, and what's your history with Paul Schrader? Paul Schrader is the writer director of this film, um, but is a, a pretty prominent screenwriter. Um, so, tell me a little bit about your experience. Yeah,
1: I'll start with the the Schrader connection. Um, my uh, my first encounter with uh, Christian higher education was actually a one year stint at Calvin College. Um, and that introduced me to the whole world of um, Dutch Reformed intellectual uh, culture. And Calvin has uh, two prominent sons, one of whom they're very proud of, and the other one of whom they have, uh, they're not quite sure if they want to claim kin or not. So one of them is Nicholas Waltersdorf, uh, the prominent philosopher, and the other one is Paul Schrader. Uh, and so when I went to Calvin, that's one of the first things I learned was that... Um, because this would have been uh, the year that *Last Temptation of Christ* uh, came out, uh, which okay. he wrote, which he wrote for Scorsese, and then of course I realized that he had done *Taxi Driver* and *Raging Bull* and one other Scorsese film. So that was kind of my introduction to Schrader. Is kind of a um, kind of a black sheep of the Christian reform family. So it's really interesting for me to see uh, the way in which Schrader continues to engage faith. Uh, and he was intended by his father to become a pastor. And in fact, he went to the Calvin Seminary, uh, and then he decided that his pulpit was uh, was the theater rather than the church. But he remains, you know, very I think deeply engaged. As you can tell from this film, with a lot of questions of of faith. Uh, for the film itself, um, I I went to see it down at the um, Saint Anthony Main Theater uh, about the same time it came to town, which would have been sometime in the spring of 2018. It was a late 2017 release. Uh, And one of one of my best memories of the film is coming out of it and saying to Amy, my wife, I said, I love that film, but um, I didn't get about 20% of the dialogue. Um, My hearing is not the sharpest. And so I actually prefer watching films on DVD, uh, or uh, some other digital format where I can turn the subtitles on. So I was happy to watch it again. So there were a couple of key plot points I actually had not gotten the first time around. I kind of guessed at them, but I wasn't quite sure. So, uh, so that, that was my history of the film: is uh, feeling like I'd watched watched or
0: understood eighty percent of it at the uh, at the outset. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Barrett, I also watch this with subtitles. Uh, <laughs> for that very same reason. There's always moments where it's like, what did they say? And and I wanna um and, and I wanna make sure I'm I'm catching that. Um, as I've read about this film, you sent me a couple articles as well. I mean, one of the big things, um, this movie's about a lot of things. Um, one of the things that I found interesting is that this is made in a particular style uh, by Schrader, and it's a style that he's been deeply interested in, but hasn't actually made films in. So so going back to the uh, the 70s in film school, he wrote a book um about uh transcendental style filmmaking um but it wasn't until he was 70 that he made a movie in that style um so can you talk a little bit about what he means by that and where maybe we see that in something like uh, first reformed
1: yeah um i i, I want to say first of all transcendental style film has remained um enormously influential it was just actually reissued a couple of years ago in a new edition in which he has a a long forward uh, in which he says he's been rethinking transcendental style in film because a lot's happened since that was published in 72 or whatever that was. Um, So he identifies transcendental style as connected with three particular uh, filmmakers. Um, uh, Brisson, the the French filmmaker, Dreyer from Denmark and uh, Ozu from from Japan. Um, And his point about what he calls the transcendental style is it's not about content, it's about form. It's about the way that the form of a film is used to communicate uh, some kind of contact with what he calls the holy or the ineffable or the other. Um, And that the the goal of such films is not to entertain or divert or amuse, but to bring the viewer closer uh, to mystery. Um, One of the ways he talks about it is he says that a transcendental film leans back in order to force the viewer to lean in. Um, and he calls the technique of transcendental film, um, he calls them withholding techniques. So, and he talks about this in terms of, of two main ideas. Um, he says films, uh, most films appeal to us through action and through, um, uh, through empathy. So we wanna see things happen and we wanna be emotionally identified with the characters. Uh, the transcendental film style will, um, slow, will uh, slow down the action um in fact he's talked about in recent years there's been a movement called slow cinema and uh one example he gives is in a brasson film a character uh, enters a room uh closes the door um leaves the room closes the door and the camera will linger on the closed door for four or five seconds um and it's a it's a way of slowing the action down and um Rather than rather than moving the camera, rather than having movement within the camera, it's getting the viewer to kind of experience the passing of time. Uh, and the other element that withholds is, is empathy. Um, the performances in uh, in transcendental films are often very low key. Uh, Brisson was famous for using non actors um and there's little or almost no non-diegetic music that is no music on a soundtrack the only music you usually get is music that's within within the film uh and you see that in even though he cheats a little bit at the end of the movie right because we have we have diegetic music we have the hymn at the end uh but it becomes a soundtrack for what Toller is doing at the end but even there it's music within within the film because in 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 um Schrader's view, what a lot of uh, typical film does is it manipulates, he, he says it manipulates the audience, it tells you what to feel, how to feel, and Transcendental Style doesn't do that. Um, so, in first, so I, you know, I think, I'm not sure to be, not, not to contradict Paul Schrader, but I'm not sure if I would have watched First Reformed, I would have said to you immediately this is a Transcendental Style film, partly because one of the things he says about Transcendental Style is that the films typically don't have religious content. It's that they have religious form. Uh, in that they try to do something with the viewer to make the viewer feel as though he or she has come into contact with something that he or she doesn't normally experience. So I think there are elements of trans style -Style style in the film. I certainly think the the, the performances are low key. In fact, um, Ethan Hawke apologized for the scene in which he cried. Uh, and asked uh, Schrader if he should go back and do it again. Uh, and Schrader said, no, it's okay, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep that in. Um, and actually when Schrader set up the opening shot of the film, the long dolly shot of the church, uh, his uh, cinematographer said, no, we don't, you know, we don't do dolly shots, in transcendental old film. And uh, Schrader said, it's okay, we're going to do this one. Uh, but otherwise, you have a lot of long, slow takes, uh, a lot of images of um, Toler sitting at his table eating or, or writing. Uh, you have no music to tell you how to feel. Um, you get long shots. There's, there's some very Bergman-esque conversations, especially the one between Esther and uh, and Toller uh, in the cafeteria where you hold one face while the other person is talking, which is a very different way of kind of responding to a conversation. So I think, I think those are some of the elements of transcendental style that the film has.
0: Well, and and I, I think um what you talked about with both Ethan Hawk crying and the uh the the camera movement and a couple other pieces in there. Um one of the things that that listening to Schrader talk is like, you know, partially what you do is you create some of these rules so that when you break them, they become meaningful. Right. And that and
1: that actually happens in a couple of his transcendental stylists. Um Ozu's great, great film, Tokyo Story, has a completely static camera all throughout the film. And Ozu is famous for what he called pillow shots, which are these kind of unrelated shots between scenes. Or he would hold a doorway for 15, 30 seconds after somebody had passed out of it. Yet, at a very key point in Tokyo Story, he does this amazing dolly shot. Uh, It's exactly what what you're saying. Completely surprises the audience. Or Brisson at the end of Pickpocket. Uh, suddenly, there's the swell of non diegetic music, uh, and it really catches the the viewer by surprise and kind of opens up, you know, possibilities.
0: So, um, as we think about the themes in this movie, um, I mean, some of the big there's so, sort of big questions that the film. I mean, the film literally asks this question over and over again. Sort of, um, can God forgive us? Right, in terms of. Uh, and that that both plays into the um sort of environmental uh the environmentalist theme in this film um but also Toller Toller has this other history which we don't really see much about but we hear we hear about his son and this is the thing that's really led him to um to being the pastor um the The pastor at first reformed. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like, I, I thought, I thought a lot about sort of the, sort of the, the weight of guilt sort of running throughout this, uh, throughout this movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he begins exactly. He begins as somebody who has been very damaged by his guilt. Um, and uh, in, in a sense, you could say he's, he's primed uh, for the environmental cause because he, he he already has uh he already feels as though he can't be forgiven for what he's done. Um he and and one of the key scenes I think that indicates that is the scene with with Esther, um, in which he's he's quite cruel to her. Um, you know, says that he despises her. Um she's a stumbling block to him, which is um, you know, one of the times when he obviously echoes Jesus' words. Um but it's he, he says he despises her because he hates what she brings out in him. Um, so he's, he's full of a certain amount of um, self-loathing and, and, and guilt uh, that the environmental cause is something that he's able to kind of um, direct his, uh, he can direct his spiritual passion that, that way. You know, one of the things that we learned is he's been unable to pray, um, which is one of the plot elements that um, Schrader picked up from uh, Brisson's Diary of a Country Priest. Uh, it's also true in Shisako Endo's Silence, which is a novel that Schrader knows well. Um, you know, he can't he can't pray, but then towards the end of the film, he says, "I found another form of prayer, uh, in in the form of taking action." Um, so that's so I think it, it, so his his need to do something and his need to atone uh, kind of originated in that sense of guilt over his son's death, uh, but then kind of attaches itself to the environmental cause.
0: Um, I was I really loved the 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 scene pretty early in the film when he first goes to meet Michael. So at the beginning of the film, he's uh he's in church at at the after the end of a service where there's almost nobody there, because that's what first reformed is like as a church. Um this this I mean he calls it a gift shop church, right? Yeah. That is it's it's more more of a place to give tours to than it is, you know, than there is a, a congregation there. But Mary comes and asks if if he'll meet with Michael, and then that um I thought the scene of Michael and and uh, Toller talking the first time, where Michael is really hitting him hard with um, with questions about sort of what we've what we as a as a species have done to the environment, and watching him sort of absorb these questions with uh, kind of feeling like, well, there's answers I'm supposed to give and I'm going to give them, but like, you can also see him sort of thinking, I don't know how I feel about the answers that I'm giving. And I know the questions that and I know they're, they're not necessarily answering the questions that you're asking. And I, and that was, that seemed like such a very real moment to me, I think, um, as I'm obviously not a pastor, uh, but as a, as a teacher, you have those moments sometimes when you're talking with the student and you just feel mm-hmm. like, yes, actually that is a, that is a, the question you're asking is so much bigger than than kind of what I'm talking about here but it's like but that's a really important question and it's and it's and and I don't know that I have a great answer to the question you're asking and I thought that scene was uh brilliant in terms of how it was written how it was acted i mean that that's there there are, there are moments in this movie that seemed unbelievably real to me
1: yeah, there's so much going on in that scene because uh, Schrader, you know, kind of effortlessly gives you a little bit of exposition about uh, Toler's past. Um, but it's also a moment where you're watching Toler watching himself because, you know, he comments uh, in his journal. Uh, he says, I felt like Jacob wrestling with the an- with what, what, wrestling with the angel. And obviously in that conversation, it's a conversation with Michael, but it's also a conversation with himself. He he says something pretty um pretty uh revealing at the beginning right because he tries and and to me it's the worst possible way to argue with somebody who's feeling despair when he basically tells Michael well my despair is greater than your despair uh because I took a child out of the world and you're worrying about bringing your child into the world um and I thought I thought that was and and, you know he accuses himself several times throughout the film of, of of pride Um, and you know, that's the essence of pride, putting yourself ahead of some, of somebody else at the same time, it's, it's not as though his dilemma and Michael's dilemma aren't, aren't the same thing, uh, or they don't have some some of the same emotional qualities, but obviously, obviously what he's telling, he's speaking to Michael, but he's also speaking to himself, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he says, the wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our minds simultaneously, hope and despair. And then one of the really most important films in the lines in the film, he says, a life without despair is a life without hope. Holding these two ideas in our heads is life itself. Um, I mean, he's trying to convince Michael of that, but I think he's trying to convince himself of that as well. You know, it's, it's this idea that somehow you can't have light without dark. So you can't have hope without, without despair. And I think that's why, um, uh, you know, I think that's why abundant life is such a difficult church for him because, um, there's no, there's no despair there. That's just all, it's all good. It's all sweetness and light.
0: Right. And I, and I also felt like the, the, uh, the abundant hope thing felt very real. I thought, um, uh, Cedric, the entertainer was great. I, it's funny, I was looking at him like. I know who this person is, but but I like and I was looking at the cast list because he's listed under his under his uh, given name. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I don't know, I don't know who that is. But it's like, man, this guy's familiar. But but that felt very real to me. I actually, it's interesting because I felt like, oh, I like that guy. And but then yeah. then you also realize like Toller also like respects him, but also feels like, well, <laughs> there are these other things too. I mean, he, he looks at 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 that church. He looks at its connection to Balk, um, and. Um, I, I just thought that sort of tension between sort of what is the nature of the church was really, really interesting.
1: Well, I think Schrader does a really good job of not turning him into a caricature, um, because that's obviously not an approach to church that Schrader is particularly interested in. Um, and I think the notion that he's, he's as much a CEO as he is a pastor um, but that's the reality of running that kind of an uh, kind of an organization, uh, and even making some of the spiritual compromises that he makes. And, and And you look at that, and you wonder, well, but okay, so so you could you can critique him for making um, making peace with Mammon, right? But but mm-hmm. look what Toller's about to do. I mean, Toller's about to walk into a church and blow up a bunch of innocent people um because he thinks that's the righteous thing to do and um Schrader talks about that is one of the kind of tricks of filmmaking like bringing yourself uh bringing the audience into sympathy with the character who then turns out to be doing or contemplating doing something really bad uh and suddenly realizing oh i'm i'm empathizing with um a jihadist uh,
0: right, because okay. there, <clears throat> there's the moment where you see Mary walk into the church, and you think, "Oh no!" And it's both an "Oh no," something might happen to her, but also, "Oh no," his plan is now not going to work. And it's right. like, instead of thinking good, his plan is not going to work. Yeah, because because yeah. you get you get sort of committed to to him, right? Like that's that's you're like, okay, this is clearly this is clearly the 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 point of view of um, of this film. Um another thing that I thought was was really interesting about go- going back to the scene with Michael and 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 uh Toller <clears throat> I think he does that scene is also effective for um making you as a viewer confront th- all the stuff that Michael's saying because that's going to be yeah. that's going to haunt Toller so uh we live in a world where that stuff is not necessarily taken as a given <laughs> Right. So exposition wise, it's also important for that to be sort of laid out because it, this this film the, has the sort of power of like there are some things you can't unlearn. I mean, mm-hmm. we do a good job of deluding ourselves, but that's one of the things with Toller is like once he has that conversation and sees what it drives Michael to it, both it drives him to the suicide vest. But when that's discovered, it drives him to just ending his life, then. Toler, like he, he becomes obsessed with that very thing because he can't, he can't forget what he, uh, whether he learned it in that moment or it crystallized in him in that moment. It's something that can't be unlearned. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Uh Schrader talks about, um, the dilemma. So even the scriptural dilemma in terms of environment. Uh, or contradictions in terms of the environment he talks about scriptural calls to stewardship but also calls you know the 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 idea of subduing the earth and making use of it and um, that that's this sort of tension um, in this film and then you see even toller with that with his own body right like he is mm-hmm. um, he is destroying his body in the way bulk is destroying the earth you know throughout <laughs> the film and he's being and he's being told about it. i mean there are uh uh the the abundant life uh pastor jeffers talks to him about how he, he can't drink anymore the doctor's telling him that but what do you see him keep doing um that whole time yeah
1: yeah i i also uh in the in that scene when uh when he and uh, and, and jeffers are debating uh the issue of of what scripture is calling us to do or not do in the earth uh and jeffers pulls out the romans 8 8 passage about the creation you know groaning and he literally, I love the way in the chair, he literally turns his back uh, on Toller and turns the chair around. But at the same time, I mean, he's right. You know, he says to him, you know, we're, we're going to get you in rehab. I mean, he's he's, he's right. I mean, Tol, Toler, and and he says, and, you know, get out in the real world and do something, which is kind of ironic, of course, because he that's exactly what Toler is contemplating. But, I mean, he, he's not actually um, – Uh, A bad pastor. I mean, he really has the right kind of pastoral
0: instincts. No. Yeah. So then another, I mean, if we're thinking about sort of uh, religious issues in this film, I think the scene at the the restaurant when we first meet Bulk, um, is this this sort of great discussion about sort of what is political and what is just the scripture is kind of great because you know, uh he so he's just done this funeral for Michael and he's you know saying I'm I'm sort of following his requests mm-hmm. in terms of the song and in terms of where his ashes are gonna be. And then Balk is pushing back and saying, Well, that's that's political, and and Toler's sort of saying, Well, no, this is just scripture, like this is just what we're supposed to do. And um, and how much that echoes uh the world that we live in, in 2017, when this film was made in 2020, you know, I, am constantly, uh, struggling with sort of the idea of what is political and what is, what is just is.
1: Well, yeah. And that was one of the reasons why the film, uh, I, I found the film so, um, engaging, I guess, our uh, Sam, because I thought it did a really good job of taking both spiritual and environmental issues seriously and connecting the two. You know, and you know, as we've talked about film, we've talked about you know, there are films that you go to see because you get lost in the world of the film and it's a kind of an escape, and then there are the films that really hold the mirror up to to, to society uh, as it is today and really really make you contemplate what you know. So, what do we do now? And I guess it's one of those films that does that.
0: So, uh, did the name Ernst Toller mean anything to you when you heard it? Because Ernst Toller is uh, is also a 20th century playwright um that straight so schrader uses that name so when you is that is that is that someone whose work you're familiar with
1: no not at all um and uh so i in to be frank that was one name i didn't track down the biblical names i i recognized but that way i didn't i didn't check that one out at all so
0: yeah so i i just did a little reading i i couldn't find a uh in the I mean this is a few minutes of kind of looking at the Wikipedia page for Ernst Toller I didn't see I mean he he he's all he's a playwright who committed suicide he was um, yeah. uh, a German he so he fought in the first world war was part it was actually for six days the president of the uh, Bavarian Soviet Republic in 1919 was imprisoned <laughs> is exiled from Nazi Germany um, and then is in the US and eventually ends up committing suicide. Um, But an interesting connection um, between this movie and the last movie we talked about is when the playwright Ernst Toller was part of the uh, Bavarian Soviet Republic, another uh, prominent figure in that was B. Traven, the writer of the novel of The Treasure of Sierra Madre. So there's a connection there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> six degrees of seven bacon kevin bacon yeah
0: wow. yeah yeah so the one, that jumped out at me as i was reading that wikipedia page i saw in blue that name and i thought wait a minute i know who that is um well, it,
1: it, it's in, it's interesting because you don't even know his name is ernst until the last scene when when mary comes in he's been reverend toller all up until then and then so the way i took it was ernst in in german simply means you know serious um mm-hmm. uh, yeah so it it's funny look. you
0: say that because that was one, speaking of subtitles, that was one of the moments that I paused and rewound because I didn't hear what she said. I saw her come in and she said, she said a word mm. and then he drops the glass and I was like, what did she say? And then when I saw Ernst at first, I thought, what is that? And then I realized that's his name. That's his name,
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. but it is interesting even to think about her calling him not by his, because right. uh, when you call him Reverend Toller, that's his profession, his vocation, but Ernst is who he always was. Exactly. And he was Ernst when he was a little kid. He would like that is that 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 means something different to refer to him that way. Maybe it means seeing him in a different way. Right. So let's let's get to the the two scenes um where this movie uh kind of steps outside of of a lot of what you're seeing. So the first is the uh the magical mystery tour scene. <laughs> Ah, uh, can you talk a little bit about about that? Because that is uh, from reading Schrader and listening to Schrader. This is is referencing some other some other films a little bit here in terms of the levitation and
1: yeah. So levitation is a is a motif in uh, one of my favorite directors, um, Andre Tarkovsky, um, and Schrader's actually talked at length about why Tarkovsky is not a transcendental filmmaker, although he has a lot he has a lot of elements of the transcendental film style. But Tarkovsky, I can think of at least three films that he used Levitation in. Um, he used Levitation in Solaris, which is uh, was kind of his answer to 2001. Uh, he uses Levitation in a film called Mirror, and uh, as well as a film called The Sacrifice, and he may in a couple of others as well. So it, it's kind of a moment where, um, and. Uh, Tarkovsky just loved the effect on the audience of kind of taking them out of reality and putting them in it, su- suggesting uh, the levitation can happen and different things can happen with a levitation, but often it's around moments of love or or other, some kind of other mystery. So that's the, that's the first obvious um, influence on, on Schrader in doing this. But then the other interesting thing that happens, of course, is um, they take off on this magical mystery tour and it's all... You know, it's all beauty, and uh, and then and then it becomes kind of, in a sense, spoiled by um, Toller's uh, environmental consciousness, uh, and so and so. It's clear that it's it's a it's a subjective uh, journey into into his mind um, that you're watching.
0: And Schrader also talks about that as a moment to put in. It's not early in the film but earlier in the film to um kind of give you, give you a heads up that there's going to be something coming later that you're going to need to be prepared to think about not maybe lit as literally or or, or, right, or, or right. need to interpret right, right. so but, so he yeah. says yeah because yeah, that's one of see, that's one of the movies where things change yeah right you don't look at the
1: levitation scene and think these people are really levitating right right so right. Right. So, so,
0: so yeah so let's get to the ending. Um, so when Schrader talks about the ending um, in interviews, he says this one, was he, he sort of meant intentionally to be ambiguous. He said sometimes he's made movies where he thought it was a specific ending and people interpreted it in lots of different ways. He says this one actually is meant to be interpreted. So talk to me about what happens at the ending and how you read the ending
1: yeah and actually before before i do that sam i want to mention there's, there's a couple of other films that i like that all have similar endings where it's kind of choose your own ending um one is appropriately uh, a john sales film called limbo um which ends with a character it's chris Christopherson in an airplane flying to an island where he's either going to rescue or kill the people that he's flying to and you just don't know the film just ends uh, and then the other one, which I think is a lot, is a little bit more like uh, like the ending here. Um, although that ending also abruptly stops, as this one does. Uh, the other one is uh, the end of all is lost uh, with the Robert Redford uh, character and leaving an open question about about his fate. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have to say something stylistic about this ending, uh, which is uh, although I don't think Schrader has referenced this at all, but uh, it to me it 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 affects how I interpret the ending. And that is when he embraces Mary uh, and the camera does a, a 360 around them uh, once, maybe even twice. So the reference there is one really key scene in Vertigo, uh, Hitchcock's film. Uh, and the reason I think it's an important uh, for this for this film in terms of how you interpret the ending is because... Uh, um, I don't know how much of the plot of Vertigo you need to, you need to know, but, but it's, it's a moment when um, a fantasy is being shaped and fulfilled by the Jimmy Stewart character. So the, the 360 movement signals to you that you are in a very subjective space. So if you want to interpret what's happening with Toller as, um, as a fantasy on his part, uh, that particular stylistic gambit, could suggest to you this is only only happening in in his mind. Um, in a way, you could say that Schrader is asking the audience to choose between hope and despair. So, in the despair, he drinks the Drano. Uh, in the hope, Mary actually comes and 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 saves him.
0: Yeah, and he talks about. I, I will say when I when I watched it, I think I I read it as this actually. Um, as this sort of actually happens, right? Because so, I wasn't thinking in terms of, I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of interpretive. Um, and then, you know, Schrader, Schrader talks about, you know, maybe this is him. Um, this is, he he drinks the draino and then this is sort of God showing him uh, what, what grace looks like or something as he dies. And there's um, lots of different ways through that. Um, I, this is one of those great, great, this is why I want to watch it again, because I want, not just, I want to see that ending again, but I want to have that feeling of the move all the way up to the ending, because just watching the ending again, I don't think necessarily gets me into the mindset to think about how do I, how do I read or, or interpret that ending?
1: Well, you know, there's a couple of other elements of that, of that ending. Um, You know, if, if you, if you want to take the more hopeful approach, you could say that there's, um, there's been a gradual, de-escalation in his in his intentions Uh, he takes off the vest um and he puts on the barbed wire but he's he's you know he's moving away from that violence um on the other hand the fact that the song is being sung by esther and uh the way the song doesn't end Mm -hmm. or the way it just stops um that that to me is a, is another potential clue that this is, um, well, you can take it a couple of ways. You can say, well, uh, you can't go any further because somehow he's been transported into the Empyrean and you can't show that. Or you can say, no, that's that's the moment of his death. Uh, mm-hmm. the, song, the song doesn't end because he's, he's dead.
0: Um, one other thing that that I was wondering about, and you're you're uh, better at this than I am. As I, this is a movie I'd heard of for a long time, and so I only knew it by the title First Reformed," and I knew it was about a pastor or a priest or something. I knew Ethan Hawke played some sort of man of the cloth, and but I didn't know what the title First Reformed" referred to.
1: Mm-hmm. So in
0: my head, I, I did a lot of like before I saw it, I did a lot of thinking like, well, what, what does that mean? I know what it means religiously to be reformed. What is first reforming? And then when I saw that that was the name of the church, I was like, oh, okay, that's what it is. But is do you look at that title as having other, other interpretations of first reformed?
1: Well, potentially because i, I don 't I, I mean it 's interesting to me Sam that uh, you know you 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 operate within a certain uh, Christian orbit and yet it didn 't mean anything to you so or it wasn 't clear to you what it meant so I really think you know to to put that out as a title for a general audience i don 't think there 's any way that Schrader expected people to know that that referred first of all to a church or secondly even to a branch of protestantism so so what yeah, what is what does that first reform mean? Is, is he somehow been reformed, um, reshaped by his experience with with Michael? Um, that's yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Anything else you want to talk about uh, in terms of this uh this film? Um
1: I I guess I, I guess first of all, um it the film makes me um hopeful in a way that it's possible to make a film that actually has um serious that raises serious theological or religious political um social questions uh and people will actually i don't think it was a big big box big box office hit but it did well and it did very well with uh with with the critics um and so that was one of the things I, I found really, really ho- helpful. That it was a film that kind of took seriously uh, the notion of faith uh, engaging in contemporary issues, but also um, just how it took seriously the, the the nature of the crisis of faith that Toler is having. Um, the other thing I'd say about the film is I just you could build you, you could build an entire um, if I were still teaching you could you could build an entire interim course. Around, the, around this film by going back and mm. watching watching the various films that it was influenced by. Uh, and so if people are interested in doing that, the, the two films I would direct them to right away would be Bresson's Diary of a Country Priest uh, and uh, Bergman's uh, Winter Light. Um, Schrader did not identify Bergman as a transcendental filmmaker, but he certainly has elements of transcendental style. But Winter Light has very very close parallels in that there's a prisoner in that film who, um, this is 1963, he's concerned about the threat of nuclear war, uh, and he comes to talk to the pastor and he also ends up committing suicide also with a shotgun. Uh, the pastor also has a prisoner who's trying to kind of tempt him into, into a, uh, emotional relationship. So those two films together, I think are probably the strongest, um, uh, influences on this film. And then everybody should watch a Tarkovsky film whether you like just for the
0: levitation what would you what would you recommend in terms of that yeah
1: tarkovsky's tough i think i probably would recommend solaris um i think that's probably his most accessible film um yeah
0: how how was this movie to rewatch? because that's now i'm sitting here thinking i'm really i'm i i I think i want to watch it again but i also know it's not uh like you said like you said last week, as you were recommending it, like it's it's not an uplifting necessarily film. It's a it's a tough watch in lots of ways. How was this watching it again?
1: Well, one thing I'll say about watching it again, Sam, is that you know sometimes you watch films again, and, uh, and and there's great great swatches you feel like you've forgotten. I did not realize how strong an impression this film made on me. I mean, I, I it's almost as though I could remember every scene as it was coming up. Um, hmm. I also I also have to say that the film did not in any way. Uh, diminish. I think it. I think it holds up very well to a second to a second viewing, um, and I think it. Uh, a lot of things that we've been talking about, um, you can see them. It's, e- you see, it's, it's easier to see them a second time through. And we didn't even talk much about. Uh, there's a lot of scriptural references in this film. Uh, there's a lot of really uh, important music, musical choices that he that he makes, mm-hmm. um, and I think you, you can see those things uh, even more clearly a
0: second time through. Absolutely. So, uh so what do you have for us for next week?
1: Oh uh, well, I think we need a change of pace. You know, This has <laughs> dark weeks, so I think we should do once. Uh, oh, so I I know that that's a film that you like, and uh, we've been talking about doing a musical for a while—a true musical. So um I think I think I think we should do that next week.
0: I love love that choice. That'll be very exciting. That's one I'll, my wife will definitely want to watch. Uh, want to yeah. watch with me? Um. Well, thank you so much for recommending this film and for sending me articles and talking me through it. This is one that I think is really helpful to um, to dive into to talk with someone about. So this was this was really, really great. Um, we will be back next week to talk about the film once in the video store.